Life Audio. Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we discuss powerful truths to counter anxiety and fear, large and small. At Holy Love Ministries, we are passionate about helping God's children discover, embrace, and live in God's freedom, and we love to inspire you to share that freedom with others. Visit our show notes to connect with us online and find out more about our events or how to book one of our speakers for your next event on our website. I'm Jennifer Slattery. And I'm Kelly Campbell. And I want to start this episode by saying life can really hurt sometimes, often, actually. And when we're in pain or battling anxiety and fear, it may feel as if we will never recover, as if our circumstances will always feel heavy and dark. And sometimes what we term anxiety because of how it churns in our gut is actually grief. Because as C.S. Lewis once wrote, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. And often when life feels particularly difficult, our emotions can become a tangle of grief, of anxiety, of fear, of anger, all mixed together, which feels really unsettling and maybe even never ending. But truth says that we are destined for hope, not despair, because the God who promised us joy and peace died from the cross to prove how much he wants to see us thrive. And he rose from the dead to prove his power to see that we do. And that's such a powerful truth, Jennifer, especially recently for me. I have found myself going through that cycle of grief and not even realizing how much grief affected my life, is affecting my life. Moved all the way across country. I left my family. I left my friends. I left my church. And I loved it. I mean, it really was like, God, this is the best thing I've ever done. I love where I've moved. You've just opened so many doors. And then... Within a month of me moving, my best friend, I mean, literally someone that I called my little brother, died very suddenly. No warning. He had just turned 54, my age, and he died in his sleep. And I was shaken to the core and did not realize. I mean, you know, it was sad. I knew that it hurt. I knew that it hurt a whole lot more than moving, even leaving all my friends and family because there was such a permanence to it. Like I can go back to see my friends and family, but I can't see Roger again. And then I started noticing things like my brushing my teeth some mornings just felt like too much to do. It just felt like you were asking me to climb Mount Everest to do that. And little things like I just felt numb. And I looked at the grief charts, like you're supposed to go through this, denial, and then anger, and then this. But truthfully, it's more like a ball of yarn. You're going through these stages back and forth, back and forth, and it looks like a squiggly line, then more of a straight up. You know, you're just going through these stages. They're all mixed up. And there were there are days, and I have to admit, because it only happened a month ago, I still feel numb. There are some days I feel like the suffering's not going to end. This numbness is not going to end. The grief is not going to end. And I have to be honest with you, there's days I feel anger because I feel like there's so many evil people. I feel like David in the Psalms, why do the evil thrive? Why do so many evil men seem to be doing so well? And then you took Roger and I have to fight that anger. 
And I think to myself, he did everything right. He was a good Christian. He was a good person. I'm a good Christian. I'm a good person. I prayed before I moved. I I did everything I felt like God told me to do. And yet I'm going through this suffering. And there are just days that it feels like it's never going to end. But I do hold on to that hope. I do know that it is. I do have hope. I do have peace in the midst of blackness and darkness at some times. And sometimes things just don't end the way we think they're going to. Right. That's the promise, too, of the peace and joy that Christ offers. So I didn't I don't give it like the world gives. I give this peace and this joy that can co-mingle, that can sit right beside grief. And it's not denying that, hey, that doesn't hurt. It's saying, God, you are with me even when I'm really pissed off at you. I mean, even when we are expressing the intensity of our anger to God, he is still offering us that piece of his presence, maybe we don't feel it. I think we rely on our feelings way too much. But but the the deep knowing of even as we lash out that he is with us. And as you were talking about your story, I was thinking about what it might have felt like for Jesus's disciples when they're doing ministry with him and they're seeing everything is exploding and Jesus is having all of this influence. And they know there's this man, one of Jesus's relatives who came on the scene prior. And it was John the Baptist. And he was well-respected. Crowds were coming out to him. And and everybody knew it was really obvious he was from God. And if they didn't know he was from God, just his story of how he came into the world, like you couldn't have found a, a more righteous. In fact, Jesus said there was nobody born of women who was more, was a better man than than John the Baptist. But then he was imprisoned. And I can just imagine, like, if I would have been one of the disciples, I would have okay, so... Jesus, you are healing lepers and you are raising people from the dead. Even you're healing people from afar. You're doing all of these miracles. And here is your relative. And are you going to show up for him? Are you going to come pull him out of this dark, dank prison? And they maybe waited and they maybe waited and they maybe waited. And scholars think he was he was probably in prison for at least one year. And this wouldn't have been like our prisons, right? Like this would have no, been a no. dark, dank dungeon. Dungeon. Where people were left to die often. So it would have, it would have just had this permeated with death. And this was probably a year before somewhere, a year before Jesus's crucifixion, somewhere along there, those lines, like somewhere in the middle of Jesus's ministry. And his story did not end the way I'm sure many people expected and probably not in the way that the disciples had hoped. That's true, Jen, but it also didn't end the way John was hoping for. In fact, John, who was, who had known Jesus since birth, had seen everything he had done, actually sent some of his disciples, the Bible calls them the messengers, to Jesus to say, hey, are you really the Messiah? Are you really God? Because he was sitting in a dungeon and nothing was happening. Would you mind actually reading? So picking up in Luke 7 from verses 21 to 28. Okay. Starting with 21, it says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases sicknesses and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who do not does not stumble on account of me. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, 
Those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one to whom it is written, I will send my messenger before you and prepare a way before you. And I tell you, among these born of women, there is no greater than John, and yet one who is the least in the of the kingdom is greater than he. You know, it really hit me when you read that, where it says, at that very time, Jesus was doing all of these miracles. And so you see this at the point of John's darkest, well, not his darkest, but a very dark hour. In fact, we find out that his darkest hour was was yet to come. And here we see Jesus demonstrating his power to save, his power to rescue, his power to avenge. I think this is what gets me too. He had demonstrated his power over authority and over the corrupt of religious leaders as well. So that just had to think, you know, thinking, why aren't you, st- you stood up against the Pharisees? Why are you not standing up against Herod? Yeah, it really kind of seemed from a human perspective, like he had no authority over this, over Herod who actually was a very weak king, a very weak, he wasn't even a king, he was kind of a governor. And so, yeah, it, I can't imagine what was going through John's head and the disciples' head during all of this. When I, I wonder, too, when he pointed back to, when he said, like, tell, tell John what you've seen, what you've heard, and he was pointing to the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 35, verses 4 to 6, besides everything that Jesus was referencing, it talks about God coming with a vengeance. And yet, that he wasn't doing that in that he wasn't avenging John. He wasn't defending John. And that had to feel like a contradiction. Absolutely. Especially, you know, when John's going through his own doubts and his own fears, I mean, asking Jesus, you know, hey, who are you? Are you even God? And then nothing's happening. But I'm so glad that God is who he is because he's okay with our doubts. Like you said earlier, he's okay with our anger. He's okay with us kind of wrestling with those questions that we have, hey, where are you in this? And to take a step back and remind us that he has an eternal perspective and not just the immediate perspective we have. He sees things not just in 3D, but 360,000 D and sees things we could never see. Right. And like you said, from a human perspective, this didn't make sense. And in fact, I don't know how long, like if I had been one of John's the disciples, I would have held on to hope to the very last minute. And John was actually executed. And we might think, okay, what was that about? But I really, really, it points to the fact that Jesus's kingdom extends beyond today, extended beyond Herod. Life extends beyond today. And sometimes, like we said at the beginning, life really hurts. But when I am frightened, whether it's for my loved ones, that they some harm will come to them, or when I'm frightened that some harm will come to me, or that I will endure something I'm unable to bear. I like to remember Stephen, the very first man who died for faith in Jesus Christ. And we read about him at the ends of Acts chapter 7. And I'm going to read verses 54 through 56. And it says, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, so they heard Stephen, basically, he was preaching the gospel. And and when they heard what he was saying, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open 
and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then we go down to verse 59. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And here's the thing. When I read that, I don't read anguish. I read peace and joy and God's presence and beauty. He's like, I see I see Jesus Christ sitting at the right hand of God. And that reminds me of God's supernatural presence, just like Jesus promised, when we go through difficult times. Some of my favorite stories of our early church fathers are also some of the most confusing. I think of people like Polycarp, who was a very early, he's sainted now, but he was a very, very early follower of Jesus right after the disciples in that time period. And he was praising God and doing prayers while he was burning at the stake and praying that his death would be Christ-like. And then we have John Huss, who also was an early church father, and he began to sing sing in Latin, and he was singing a song that said, Christ, thou art the living son of the living God, please have mercy on me. And I, there's, like you said, there's beauty in that because there's not, there's no fear, there's no anguish. But I wonder sometimes, could I do that? <laughs> I don't know if I'd be strong enough. I think here's a good point. None of us would be. And Stephen wouldn't have been strong enough without the Holy Spirit. Polycarp wouldn't have been strong enough without the Holy Spirit. And I'm reminded of Isaiah 40 verses 28 to 30, which tells us that God gives power to the weak and he renews our strength. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And I think that's what's important. Let's go back to when you said that we can bring our doubts and our wrestling to God. By bringing our doubts and our wrestling to God, that is when we experience him. It's it's our fear often, I can do this because I can sometimes bring a human perspective to my relationship with God. And they will, because humans have been angry when I've doubted or when I have questioned or shown intense emotion, well, then therefore God And I I can do that almost on an unconscious level without even realizing I'm doing that. And by doing that, I'm actually distancing myself from from my father, from his comfort. He never turns away from us. But by wrestling with him, by coming to him, we are inviting that strength that is greater than our weakness. And I'm thinking also of 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, where God said to Paul, a first century evangelist who was going through some difficult times, he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And I love, he didn't say my power is made perfect when you rely on yourself, when you pretend like nothing's wrong. He said my power is made perfect in weakness. And that's comforting to me when I have those times of weakness, when I have those times where I don't think I'll ever be who I was again. There are days I feel like this numbness is never going to go away. But I also know that that is my weakness and that in that Christ can work in such miraculous ways. And then I also kind of step back and think, I got to know Roger. I had something that a lot of other people didn't get. And that's a blessing. And I'm grateful for that. So being able to say I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm numb, and having God say, that's okay. My strength is going to be within that. And I'm not going to turn you away. I so agree. Sometimes we project our relationship with our earthly parents onto what we think God, what we think God is going to be like when he's really very loving and very kind. And then he can send them and say, you know, here's my guidance, here's some wisdom and sometimes clarity, sometimes not. I may never know on this side of eternity why what happened happened, but that's still okay. Right. That reminds me of something Irene Craigle wrote in her book, The Mindful Christian. Now, she's going to be on the Faith Over Fear podcast November 14th. And speaking of Jesus's death, so that time period between his death and his resurrection, which would have been another, and we know from reading the gospel, was a very confusing, very painful and terrifying 
time for the disciples. And she wrote regarding that. But even in that darkest of spaces, beyond their ability to see or believe, Jesus was at that moment rising from the dead without any action or even faith required from the disciples. Then she went on to say, the darkness is not dangerous, nor are our feelings of terror or hopelessness. These are passing experiences that emerge sometimes while God's resurrection is at work. God does not always take away our suffering, our unpleasant emotions, our despair, or our fear. Instead, God enters into them and does resurrection work right there in the darkness, sometimes even in secret. So we can lean into each present moment experience, pleasant or unpleasant with that knowledge that no matter how bleak things appear, morning will come again because God is at work. That's so powerful to remember. It also brings up to me Psalms 4610. Psalms 4610 simply says, be still and know that I am God. And that's important because we don't always feel God's presence. We don't always feel like he's with us, but he always is. And sometimes we just need to slow down. And we just need to stop and say, I know what, God, I don't feel your presence, but you are with me and you are God today, tomorrow, over this situation, over the next situation, over my grief, over doubt, over fear, over eternity. There's just nothing you can't do. I found a quote as well that I've really held on to these last few weeks, and it's from John Bloom from Desiring God is the website. It says, God does not always answer with the speed we desire. Nor is his answer always the deliverance we hope for, but he will always send help that is needed. His grace will always be sufficient for those who trust him. Mm -hmm. The hope we taste in the promises we trust will often be the sweetest thing we experience in this age, and his reward will be beyond our imagination. In John's darkness and pain, Jesus sent a promise to sustain John's faith. And he will do the same for you. When you read that right now, I hadn't thought of the promises of eternity, right? The promises of one day, all of this pain will end. And when we are struggling, I think we need to hold like there's this tension of Jesus said, you will have trouble. It'll be hard. You're going to need me and you're going to need one another. But I've overcome the world, which means we also will overcome. Would you mind closing us in prayer? Absolutely. Father, thank you for the example of John. Thank you, Father, that you are with us at all times. We just need to be still and know that you are there. And thank you for the promises of eternity. Thank you for the promise of hope, for the promise of encouragement, for the promise of your love. And we just bring everything we have, Father, our doubts, our fears, our anger, our wonders, and we just lay them at your feet because we know that you're big enough to handle them. And we just thank you for being here with us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. I hope this gave you some encouragement, maybe some things to think about, maybe an invitation just to invite God into whatever you're struggling with this week, this month. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe and then you won't miss a single episode. We'd also be encouraged if you would rate it. That encourages our team and it helps others to find it as well. Make sure to share it wherever you share your podcast content. And until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello. 
Hello, my name's Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.